coming up on this episode of the MD and Chef Team Show. And we wondered if he passed away or went into a care committee, would she bounce back? Well, as you alluded to, in 2005, what happened? Hurricane Katrina, their home was swept away in the horrible storm surge. And the trauma of seeing that home gone that she fully expected to come back to was, it just exacerbated and accelerated her condition. Welcome to the show from the The MD MD and Chef Chef Team. Team. I'm Dr. Isabel, medical doctor here at the MD and Chef Team. And who are you? I'm Chef Michael, culinary nutrition expert. I'm the chef part of the team. And what are we going to talk about, babe? Now, I can say that because he's my husband. (laughs) Yes. Well, then we'll be talking about marriage, relationships, parenting, intimacy. We'll talk about mindsets of success, overcoming depression, anxiety. I'll be getting into functional nutrition, recipes and tips from the kitchen. And we're going to both get into how to live a long, healthy, vibrant life. Yes, I love it. Our mission is to help you prevent and reverse disease and give you hope in the process. Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah. We We like like to have fun, fun too. So let's Let's get get on with the show. Hello, Bill. How are you doing? Doing great. Good morning. It's afternoon here in Portland, Oregon. Yes, it's, and it's a day before, like today we're Wednesday, we're Tuesday, and you're Monday, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. Isn't that crazy how that happens? Exactly. So, yeah, I'm uh, in Portland, Oregon, and I'm a native of New England. Uh, I was born and raised in Hartford, Connecticut, went to school in Boston, mostly vacationed in Vermont, and been here for about 34 years, and there's a lot of similarities. So I usually tell people, if you love New England, you'll love the Pacific Northwest. And that, maybe you've heard this. Um, I heard this from a, somebody from New Zealand, a Kiwi, a while back, saying that if you took uh, British Columbia, Washington, and Oregon, flipped them upside down, and stuck it in the South Pacific, you've got New Zealand. True? Pretty much. Pretty much. And if you take Colorado and just stretch it out, it's that, it's that whole population of people. If you can imagine that, I think we're we're up to 5 million here. That much. We are only a little bit above all of Oregon. And Oregon's only like 27th largest state. (laughs) Wow. I I loved Oregon when I worked there, when I was living there for a little bit, about two months doing a residency turn in the hospital up on the hill. I loved the coffee. I loved walking in the bush, those little forests that you have there and I really love the weather. I like that moist, rainy kind of weather. I mean, not all the time, of course. And right now, as you probably heard, we've been very hot, a lot of fires, and we can't mm. wait for our rains to come back. Otherwise, we shouldn't live here if we don't love our moisture. And our yes, abs- absolutely. Mm-hmm. And do you ever get close to the beach? Do you ever go to the... Oh, yeah. Yeah. On a regular basis, get out there for a getaway, if not the mountains, one of the two. <laughs> it's not too cold? The water's not too cold? The water is cold for swimming, and it's also can be dangerous with the sneaker waves and the sharks and God knows what else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here in New Zealand, the Kiwis love to go swimming and surfing in the winter, which blows my mind. But anyway, they were bred for this. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Bill, how about if I introduce you to the, to the MD and Chef team people, huh? Absolutely. That's what we're here for. 
All right. Welcome, everybody. I'm Dr. Isabel, your host at the MD and Chef Team podcast. And today we've got Bill Cohen all the way from Oregon, America. And I'd like to just share with you a little bit about him. And then he's going to talk a little bit about his story. It's an amazing story. It's sad, but it's going to give you hope. Okay. Bill Cohen is a caregiver support group leader and speaker an Alzheimer Association and Hope Dementia Support Groups volunteer, bravo, and certified senior advisor and owner of Cohen Caregiving Support Consultants. His loving and talented mom, Sheila, lost her home to Hurricane Katrina. I'm so sorry to hear that. Then she lost her health, ability to create beautiful art, and ultimately her life due to Alzheimer's. For almost 10 years, Mm, 10 years, Bill, that's a long time. For 10 years, Bill was her primary caregiver and advocate, not just her elder son. After formal retirement from the government as an employee for 25 years, Bill turned his personal loss and pain into his passion and encore career. Bill's going to share with us his story and journey with his late mom and answer some specific questions and concerns and provide advice on dementia caregiving and what that whole journey looked like. Thank you, Bill. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm excited and honored to be here today. Thank you. How how long ago did Sheila pass? About uh, eight and a half years ago. Yeah, it was February 2013. Mm -hmm. Have you ever gotten past it? Yeah, that's actually a good question to start with, that because of the way many forms of dementia are, especially Alzheimer's, there's that term that many of your viewers probably heard, anticipatory or ambiguous grief, because your loved one is still there, Mm. but they're not themselves anymore. The person's still inside, they're physically there. So there's that long goodbye and And I had said goodbye to my mom long time before when she passed away. And the night that she did, it wasn't like reacting out of, oh, my God, you know, she's gone. It was more like a big sigh and it's over. She's no longer suffering. And everything I've done, as you mentioned in the bio, thank you, has been in her memory and her honor. So I haven't dwelled on it occasionally. Like I have a video that I compiled with a local university, Pacific University outside of Portland, um, which was old old movies and photographs from when I was growing up. And I watch it about once a year and then I get a little choked up. But most of the time it's more like, yep, doing this for you, mom. And I I hope you're proud wherever you are. So, yes. And she is. Mm -hmm. And she's resting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And not suffering anymore. Can you mm-hmm. tell us what happened? What? How did this all start? How old was she? Sure. How was they? How did you notice something was wrong with mom? Mm-hmm. Love to. This is back around 2004, so about 17 years ago. We were seeing the first signs of something. We weren't sure what it was, but she wasn't taking care of the house. She wasn't taking care of the finances. Uh, she was showing more anxiety than usual and confusion and mood swings, things like that. Mm. She was under stress. She was in a caregiver role herself for my late stepfather. 
And we wondered if he passed away or went into a care committee, would she bounce back? Well, as you alluded to, in 2005, what happened? Hurricane Katrina, their home was swept away in the horrible storm surge. And the trauma of seeing that home gone that she fully expected to come back to was, it just exacerbated and accelerated her condition. Uh, this is a woman who was a uh, early adopter of a Macintosh computer. She was in her 60s back in the 80s. This is not very common back then. And she took care of their finances, like I said. And she was a, crea- she was a creator. She was an artist for her whole life. She did very intricate intaglio printmaking where she was etching into metal plates and et cetera. And when she wasn't able to do that anymore, mm. it was very obvious something was wrong that there was a, such a drop-off. And you may have run into this before, or there were somebody who was a professional, uh, very educated, and it's so obvious that something isn't quite right. So those were the signs we saw, but it was so obvious after the, the trauma of losing the home and seeing her when she was with other family in the East Coast. Uh, I ended up, in the, right after this, and flying back there because she was just so frantic, so agitated. I ended up taking her to the ER to get her on some medication. She thought she was just going to see a new doctor. Had to use a little, as I like to say, compassionate deception. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, and I was in a mostly in a conference room because they didn't have space for her at that moment before she could see a geriatric uh, specialist. And she was like a caged animal. I mean, I barely recognized this as my mother. I mean, she had the wow. tense face and like you get me out of here you know the type of thing it was horrible but Mm -hmm. once she got checked in and she got some medication the next morning i come off the elevator she wasn't mad at me she said there you are there's my savior so it wasn't me it was her disease coming on and it was it became very challenging gut-wrenching emotional the following years, but it was also gratifying, knowing, doing the best I could with what I knew and what I could find out and getting the right support. So it was, it was quite a journey, but I'd like to talk about one aspect that I think will speak to what you talk about as well is I get asked often, why do you think your mother got Alzheimer's? Yes. And it became obvious it was Alzheimer's increasingly as we went along. The signs were all there, that list of top 10 signs. But as we all know, usually we hear about genetics and age being the primary factors, or at least two of the biggies. She was only in her early 70s when she was showing symptoms, not very old. Mm -hmm. That's really almost getting into the early onset uh, area. And nobody else in the family has it. There's a little bit of maybe mild cognitive impairment, MCI, with mm-hmm. some other family members, older aunts and uncles, but mm-hmm. nobody else has it. There's increasing evidence, as you know, that there are many other factors. And here's this story with my mom, because she's basically the poster child. She was living, as I said, on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Not exactly a poster child for good environmental practices. Toxins, pollution, chemicals, food is mold. Wild. Mold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. The food is wonderful, but what's in it? You wouldn't want to be eating it long term. She used to smoke. She barely exercised. She would walk the dog down the, to the corner and back. That was about it. She wouldn't get into a swimming pool. Oh, there's kids in there. Ah. And she was isolated socially with my stepfather a few miles off the coast. Mm. She was in the caregiver role, like I said. And as I said, she was an artist. She was etching into those metal plates and putting it into an acid bath for many, many years. So we really think that those environmental factors and her own lifestyle and behavioral choices are, are, uh, are the biggest factors on why she got it. So mm-hmm. that's the, the lesson which I think you talk about yourself is prevention is so important. There are ways of delaying or at least slowing progression. Yes. Oh, gosh, Bill. So I just need to share with you just a little two-minute snippet of my life. Sure. Uh, when, I, when I was five years old, my mom said that I, I said I was going to be a doctor. And it was because my uncle, Diolito, um, just he became my father, really, my adopted father. And he, w- he was an anesthesiologist. And when he would come, he was one of these people that would come into the room and just light it up. You'd be like, wow, I want what you got. (laughs) And he would just make you smile and make you feel really happy. And um, he was just my mentor, my father, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, and then in 20. And so, like, I really like I relate to you, but he's so far away. And but um, in 2014, before I learned anything about Dr. Dale Bredesen protocol, ending Alzheimer's. And way before Sheila got it, you know, he was still learn. Dr. Bredesen was just learning all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I just was like, you guys, you got to get him checked out. But anyway, he's now still demented, pleasantly demented, doesn't know what's going on. And yeah, it, it's really, it's so sad because he's so there's, he's so deep that, that it's, it's, you know, once, once you get in so deep, into Alzheimer's, it's too late. You know, like the first two years, you can bring, you can pull people out. But um, that's why I wanted to interview you because you've got a heart. And for you to have a heart to take care of your mother for 10 years, that's hard work. And that's one of the things why I related to your message and your podcast is because you share that compassion and that empathy. Mm. You under, you understand some people it's strictly technical cl- clinical but when you've tasted it you've experienced it personally it really hits home yeah it's in my dna definitely hence the reason why i do what i do so what's the biggest problems and concerns for caregivers once you've been in there you know i mean you probably didn't even realize that once when you were in this journey that you were going to actually take this out you know, and start helping the world. But when, when you were in there, what, what were, what were the challenges for you? Mm-hmm. Sure. And, and one of the things I'd like to say is that you had told me 17 years ago, what was <laughs> going to transpire. And I'd be sitting here talking to you today and doing what I do. I'd say, you're crazy. You couldn't make up that scenario. <laughs> I would have said, no, 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 no way. Uh, because even the work I did for the state completely unrelated not even worth going into. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, it, it, that when I first saw those signs, and I'd like to even, I admit that I, that was my first situation with denial. 
oh, it couldn't be Alzheimer's, couldn't be dementia, could it? Isn't she just getting older? Isn't she getting stressed out taking care of my stepfather? She's tired, what have you. But we had to start getting concerned. We did go on a couple of those uh, medications, which only helped delay the symptoms for a while, because as we know, there's no approved, you know, magic pill or silver bullet yet. We're getting closer to these treatments is uh, that we I had a lot to learn. I think the first thing I did after the storm was join a support group. And I am still facilitating the same support groups 16 years later, and as well as two others, that I needed that information. I needed that feeling that I'm not alone. Others are going through it. Learn from others, including a wonderful facilitator, social worker, who's a friend to this day. And <laughs> that she's gone through it herself. And the and then with our local, our national in the states, uh, the Alzheimer's Association. Of course, each country has their own version of it. And that there's so much good resources and information and the support groups and the education and the research that they're doing because they are funding through our our fundraising efforts uh, to find that those cures and those treatments. And again, we're getting really close. I think what we like to say here, I'm sure you've heard the same thing, that this is an exciting time, actually. It is. It really, really is. That it is an exponential growth in, one, the number of people who are being diagnosed with it, but also the costs, which Mm -hmm. is really a huge problem for every country around the world. But we're at that point where uh, the, the exciting stuff that we're we're understanding better why it's happening. We're understanding better how to diagnose it. And we're getting better treatments on how to slow or delay the progression, which is, again, very exciting and historic. So Yes. Yeah. Very historic. So what, what were the biggest challenges that you felt that you had with your mom? Yes, that was really a question. That so much to learn in terms of not just about the disease, but legal and financial and health and what resources and support are available. But the key is that to start seeking that out as early as possible. It's always better in so many situations to be proactive, prepare in advance, plan, not have to react in a crisis because then you're acting emotionally and you have Mm -hmm. many fewer choices. So that is a real key. And that's where I, uh, where I, somebody like me, and there aren't many people doing what I do from the caregiver perspective, as opposed to from the medical or the social work or the geriatric care worker side, which is focused more on the person with the disease, mm-hmm. but to somebody who is supporting the caregiver saying, you can do this, you can do that. This is what I recommend because they don't know where to turn. That's where I was 16, 17 years ago. The resources back then were nowhere near what they are today. Bigger problem today is with the internet having an explosion of information is that it's also misinformation. Mm-hmm. And you don't know among those resources and that information, who do you trust? That's right. Absolutely. And that can be on a local basis as well. Who should I use for elder law attorney? in-home care, uh, finding appropriate housing. Some people have their heart in it. Not everybody does. 
And that's part of the reason, by the way, um, I don't know if you're familiar with this designation uh, after my name that you mentioned in the bio, Certified Senior Advisor, takes that holistic approach, takes a broader perspective. Actually, the majority so far who have this certification are in finance, insurance, real estate, et cetera. Because it's not just about making an appropriate recommendation. It's about preventing fraud, predatory practice, and abuse among our elders, our most vulnerable population. Vulnerable, yes, yes. So more and more people in senior care are becoming certified senior advisors, and that's part of the reason why I do it. Uh, I added that certification. And I have a financial background and I do have two business degrees and I've worked in government and I went through a lot of the legal issues. So again, I have that broader perspective and I try to coordinate the team, which most people in our industry are not doing. They're, they're working. They're, they're taking care. They're part of the journey. They're silo. They're, they're a little piece of the, uh, of the care. So. What do we call that? Um, mono, monopreneur. Mon, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> solo, solopreneur. <laughs> solopreneur. It, 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 exactly. It takes a team. I am nothing without my team. You've got to have a team. Right. Yeah. Got to be coordinated. Uh, there's a term in uh, social work wraparound that they use that term that where they bring everybody together to take care of the kids. Well, why not in senior care? We should all be yes. talking among ourselves. So how long were you able to keep uh, Sheila in the house or did, was she, did she stay in the home the whole time? So there was a couple of years before, or about a year before the hurricane, she was again in the caregiving role. She was never living on her own after the hurricane. It was that bad. Right. So when she was on the East coast with other family members, she was in independent and then assisted living. I moved her out to Oregon in 2008. And she was a few years in a care community here, including the last four years were in memory care. So, yeah, the last, uh, I'd say, eight years, she was strictly uh, institutionalized. I know that's not the best <sighs> word, but but the last place that five years, especially, uh, was a nonprofit, faith-based uh, in Southwest Portland. I don't know if you remember where Raleigh Hills was. Um, no, I don't. <laughs> and, uh, too but it was a wonderful care community and great care. It looked like the old nursing homes, and it's been since renovated. But the care was so good. The head nurse just recently retired after 37 years of working there. Wow. She's still a friend. Uh, that's impressive. She's, she's that's dedication. Yes, it was. So that, that's indicative of the kind of care that was available there. Not all places are alike, but that one's certainly a good one. And how do you work with families with dementia? So I work either uh, individually, family caregivers, uh, the, you know, families in, in, in a group, but I also do support mm-hmm. groups. Uh, uh, yes. So I, I work with 10, 12, 14 people in groups virtually and increasingly again in person, which is nice, or hybrid even, which is difficult, but it can be done. But individually, uh, again, the most of the people I work with are, are adult children, occasionally spouses, occasionally grandchildren. Uh, it's been anywhere from somebody who was like in his 20s and his mom in early onset in her 50s to 80 mm-hmm. year old spouses or older siblings. But most are and the demographics of my social platforms bear this out. Ages 35 to 65, adult children, 
80 to 85 percent women. Have you ever in your adult life thought, I don't want to get Alzheimer's? Well, if that's you, you are not alone. How would you like to learn how to prevent Alzheimer's right now, especially if you're over 40? Then pop on over to DrOnAMission.com to get your three free gifts. And these include Brain Health, the nutritional guidebook to find out what foods are good and what foods are bad for your brain. The next is the End of Alzheimer's Masterclass. That's a video series. And the last is Secrets of Sleep, the ultimate guidebook. They're all yours. All you need to do is go to DrOnAMission.com, and that's doctor spelled long, D-O-C-T-O-R, onamission.com. And now, back to the podcast. And as you know, probably, I don't know if all your listeners do, Alzheimer's, unfortunately, is a women's disease. Between the caregivers, the care recipients, and the professionals, it's mostly women. And I just need to put a little plug here uh, is the reason it's such a woman's disease is hormones. Hormones are so important for our brains. Oh my gosh. It's so important for our brains. And we, I have women that are on the, um, our Bredesen protocol reversal protocol Mm -hmm. with my husband and I, our team. And, you put them on the hormones and you fix up just a couple of things. There's usually about 15, 20 things that need to get repaired, you know, with nutrients and hormones and, and you get their hormones under control, even vitamin D, it will re it will definitely help them get back on, on board. So, I mean, I see women wake up and, but the medical community, the, the conventional system does not understand that. And in medicine, we, we are taught not to give hormones after 65. Oh my gosh. Well, I personally am going to be on bioidentical hormones until my last breath, because I see the difference. My family sees the difference and I, you know, it's, um, We've got a long way to go, Bill. We've got a don't long way to go. Yeah, don't get me started on big food, big pharma, and the uh, American Medical Association. I think. We've oh no, we can. No, we can. We we can talk about that. I just um, I just that's what we're doing. You know, is letting people. We're opening up the doors and saying, "Hey, you guys, we've been there. We're in there. We've been in that area, and um, there's hope." And that's the hugest thing is hope. People have lost so much hope. And hope for me, the definition of hope for me is the happy anticipation that something good is going to happen to you and for you today. And just believing that. I like to post a lot of articles like that on my social media, especially my Facebook committee, which is on six continents, including Australia, New Zealand. (laughs) Yay. Congratulations. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. So I like to post a lot of articles like that that raise people's hopes and increase awareness because they may not see this information and they're wondering, you know, what can I do? Where can I learn? What can I do to help myself as well as my loved ones? Because it's not just about uh, prevent. It's it's about prevention. It's about self care. But again, how can we help slow it and, and uh, delay that progression, which is so important? Yeah, and reverse it. And reverse it. Right. 
Yeah, and I do. It, I do it, know that Bredesen Protocol has very, very, very good uh, uh, basis uh, or recommendations. So I agree with those. Yes, absolutely. Isn't one of the? Wouldn't you agree? Uh, especially when it comes to women about sleep, that oh. I've heard that women find it harder than most, more than men, to even get a good night's sleep because of the child raising or other factors. Mm-hmm. That and that's a big. It's so important to get that re you know the terms the, the regeneration the rejuvenation of the brain cells get into that REM cycle etc you yes. could i'm sure you could do a whole podcast on that one <laughs> yes i do and i can <laughs> um <laughs> sleep is so huge because estrogen helps us sleep progesterone calms us down so it's you know it's a catch 22 if you if you're low in your hormones you're not going to sleep and um yeah you can go crazy if you're not sleeping. And boy, how many pills are we using around the world to help people sleep? And that's not, that's not going to help there people. Are other, there are other options. There are other options. So don't get, look at, see, we can be so tangential. Boom, boom, we're pinging all over the place. Okay, so do you work with families um, virtually around the world? Can you do that? I'm going to sound like a lawyer. Depends. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, I started out primarily in the Pacific Northwest, obviously. But one thing is, as we all did 16, 17 months ago now, we all had to pivot. We all had to adjust. And I realized, yes, I can help people. Definitely all over North America, uh, Canada, and the States, but through virtual Theoretically, I could help people in other countries. There's no reason why I can't. Obviously, when it comes to uh, being licensed or anything like that, taxation, I'd have to find out what what is necessary. Like I did find out that as long as I do certain things or not enough money, shall we say, enough income, I can go up into Canada and advise people. But I'm not a resident of Canada, so there's I'd have to find out in New Zealand or wherever what the regulations are theoretically i could but i help a lot of people because i'm not driven by the compensation that's tertiary after helping people and keep active myself including the volunteering it's not what drives me so if somebody contacted like you said bill can you talk to somebody here in auckland or wherever and say can you give them a little bit of advice on how to handle such a situation i'd be happy to good Absolutely. Or join my Facebook community. <laughs> yeah, because we all learn as a group. Exactly. As a team. Great. What's really cool with that is that although I do post a lot and engage a lot, the members do it too for each I other. I know. Yes. It's fantastic. I know. They share the information. Mm-hmm. So um, I just wanted to also ask you, can you tell us a little bit about the volunteer work, including your support groups, fundraising, and advocacy? Sure. So one of the things I did after, well, like I said, I became the facilitator for that same support group. And what was interesting that when I went for the training, this is just a few months after mom passed away, I had no intention of doing so. I thought I was just going to Keep going back occasionally, help others go through the experience like others help me. But like when they, the person, the facilitator said, I have to give it up. If you know anybody who wants to take over, let me know. Everybody looked at me 
because I did it a couple of times. You. <laughs> lucky me, right? And I, but I thought about, well, are you serious? What kind of support? What kind of training? But I'd been through the whole thing and I facilitated meetings at work. Why not? So it was a natural thing. I'm glad I'm doing it. But then I went for the training and this young woman sits down in front of me and starts talking about the walk and Alzheimer's, the fundraising. And I said within about a minute, I said, I have a feeling I'm not just going to be walking, that I'm going to be leading a team on my mother's memory and honor, aren't I? She said, yeah. That's why mm-hmm. I called her muse. She was so energetic. And this year is my eighth year leading team, Sheila, uh, in our Portland and Vancouver, Washington walks. And I've been at a, a top fundraiser every year. And it's not hard. I mean, I've never been the type to ask for people for donations, but because it's something I'm passionate about, and because it is for my mom and for to help others, it's easy mm-hmm. to do. Then I got involved with other fundraising events, going to the Capitol and advocating for more fund, uh, clinical research funds, that type of thing. So, yeah, it's been all across the board. There, uh, you mentioned the bio, the Hope Dementia Support Groups is a nonprofit just across the river in Vancouver, Washington. Hopefully some of your listeners know their geography. Uh, And it's a nonprofit that has weekly support groups. And I literally live across the street from the care community. And that's where I do one every Saturday morning. And it's partly the residents in the independent living cottages, the aging in place cottages, but other people from around the area. And we were doing it virtually for the last 16 months. And we're back uh, meeting in, in in person. I also do, are you familiar or maybe your listeners aren't with a memory cafe? No. So a memory cafe, I can tell you a quick, really quick story. Somebody in one of the support groups says, my spouse keeps on asking, do you talk about me? Why can't I go? <laughs> so, they <would> ask, <laughs> so they would ask, is there something for both of us? A memory cafe is for both the care giver, the care partner, and their loved one who is at least no worse than mild cognitive impairment or early stage Alzheimer's. And mm-hmm. it's social activities. And it could be music. It could be games. It could be dancing. It could be just some food, et cetera. I've done uh, virtual bingo. I've brought in somebody to do meditation, somebody to do music therapy, somebody to do art therapy, all kinds of things. So it got a little trickier during the uh, pandemic. Uh, but we're, like I said, we're going back using card games. Uh, things like uh, this is if you ever heard, uh, there's a page I could send it to you. It's called Memory Cafe Directory, and he has these memory joggers. And what it is is you finish a sentence like a Rolling Stone gathers no moss, right? As an example, and mm-hmm. so you go through these, and of course they feel good because usually they may not remember what they had for breakfast, but they'll remember a phrase like that. Yeah, yeah. Because that's that's not short term. That's long term. Yeah, exactly. So they they love it. And these guys, it's mostly the guys, the men in this this group. And they do really well. And their wives always say he was he just enjoyed it so much. He was engaged. He did really well, didn't he? I said, yeah, absolutely. So they love it. Good. That's so good. There's just some good examples. And you're absolutely right. You can only do something very, very well if you've got the passion. Passion, passion sells. Mm-hmm. That's the bottom line. Right, exactly. 
Now, before I land this plane that we've been on in business class with you and I and the MD and chef team, <laughs> I'd like to, uh, you know how the, the stewardess would go out and, you know, give little candies or a little drink or something. <laughs> so I'd like for you to offer three action steps that people can take so that they can have immediate wins mm-hmm. with taking care of their loved ones. Yeah. One would be when you're seeing the first signs as a family or in some cases, a solitary caregiver, solitary family member, because a lot of people are in that position, Mm -hmm. is to have the discussion and talk about it among yourselves. And remember, it's not about you individually. It's about your, your family member. Who has who is showing these first signs? It's their care that's most important, not what's in it for you or what you are 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 or not going to do. You want to get all on the same page. Second would be to yes, join a support group. I think I've already discussed it, so I think that that says it all. But the information, the advice, the help, knowing you're not alone. Uh, it's a supportive, confidential, safe environment. And many are still online and will be. The third would be that beyond having the discussion among your family is to seek out those resources, seek out support. And it doesn't have to just be from family members because your family could be however you define it. It could be your next door neighbors. It could be your friends. It could be your ex-coworkers. It can be a charitable organization, a religious organization nearby. There are many things that other people can do from a distance without having to be involved with the actual caregiving, whether it's spending time with your loved one or ordering things online, handling the finances. There's a lot of things that you can do. Even, or spending a couple of hours because for a caregiver, I can't forget, and I'm going to give a 3A. Self-care is not selfish. It is vital that if you don't take care of your health, you are endangering yourself and you're not yet. You're very good. I love that. I'm just showing a big heart that I've got on a lollipop stick. Yes, self-care is not selfish. I love that. It is vital because actually, and, and this could be the case with many other Uh, chronic conditions or diseases, but something like two-thirds of caregivers when it comes to dementia pre-decease their loved ones. Pre-decease. If you can get burned out, you can get sick or worse, and then again, you're not helping yourself and you're not helping your loved one any by trying to do it yourself and not getting that support that you need. And envision things like going for a massage or taking a bath with essential oils, go for a walk, go for coffee with a friend. Don't think about, Oh, I don't have time for that. I can't go. I what have you. If you envision those things, you realize how important it is and how good it'll feel. Then you will find the time. You'll think about, okay, if I had two hours, what would I do? If I had eight hours, what would I do? If I had a weekend with no caregiving responsibilities, what would I do? Go to a spa. Even if you have to go sleep for the whole weekend, go. You'll do yourself and and to them. There are increasingly, again, 
there are respite opportunities, whether it's an adult daycare or senior centers or care communities that had temporary stay quarters, take advantage of those. Don't say, I'm going to think, I'm going to mention one of my clients, obviously not by name. And it's sad that his wife was a gerontologist. She actually filled in in my first support group. Unfortunately, she got Alzheimer's. Yeah. So for a long time, because he was so afraid, she's saying, I don't want anybody to know. I'd be embarrassed. I don't want to go to a care community. It would be humiliating. And so for a long time, he didn't do anything about it. So when we first met and he's telling me all these things, I said, okay, I've got some blunt questions. Is it because you are the only one who can do it? Right? Uh, That you don't want to admit you can't handle it? Are you in denial? Are you a bit of a control freak? He said all the above. (laughs) Being honest. (laughs) Yeah, he was. Yeah. I was honest question. He had an honest answer. But he realized that he couldn't do it by himself any longer. That he needed that support, he needed help, he needed to uh, take care of things. He couldn't keep going the way he was going. And he was actually younger than her. So, yeah, very, very crucial. That breaks my heart. That breaks Mm -hmm. my heart. Mm -hmm. Bill, where can people find you? Now, this will all be in the show notes, but just, you know, where can people find you? I see in the background your, your, your website. Yes. So simply, uh, Cohen, C-O-H-E-N, caregiving support.com has most of my information. I think in the show notes, you'll have the uh, the link tree, which lists some other things like my Facebook group and my walk into Alzheimer's and uh, other things I do and my uh, monthly blog if somebody wants to subscribe. So yeah, a lot of those things. That'd be the best thing. Or write me at bill at Cohen, caregiving support.com. Love to talk. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your heart. You went through an you went through a really messy, ugly time with with your mom, Sheila. But um, I know that she's really happy. I just, you know, I just know that I know that I know that she's like, wow, I'm so proud of Bill. And I know, Bill, that you're going to help millions of people with your journey so that they don't have to suffer as much as you did. Okay. So I'll try to do my small part. I know you are trying to do yours as well. Yeah, day by day. Baby step by baby step. That's all we can do, right? Exactly. I'm sure we're big dreamers. I'm sure you and I are big dreamers and we're like, but we can do so much. (laughs) But it's baby steps day by day. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining me and Bill on the MD and Chef team. It's been a pleasure. And before we go... Know that you can start preventing Alzheimer's. It starts, that whole process starts 20 years before the first presentation. That's what the research shows. So know that there is hope. You can get help and you can learn how to prevent it and step away from that buffet. However, that information has not been revealed until the last three or four years by Dr. Dale Bredesen. And so there's still many people like Bill out there that are working and helping their family members and they need support. Okay. So God bless. Remain unstoppable. And thank you for joining. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Hello, Chef Michael here. If you enjoyed today's episode, we would love it if you subscribe to the podcast and left us a review.